It's been a little over a week since protests in Atlanta started for justice for George Floyd. Those protests have happened across cities in the United States and across the world, calling for justice for our black brothers and sisters, justice for George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and many, many. An outpouring of emotion and anger and sadness that is years of hundreds of years of people being dehumanized because of the color of their skin. And here at Unboxed, we wanted to live within the integrity of our podcast which is to live courageously and unjaded. And the definition of unjaded means to be not cynical, not dull. And we don't want to be dull and move on from what's going on right now. The purpose of this is to live unboxed and to live courageously. And so we wanted to take this moment to to step into the story that's in history that's going on right now to say that justice, justice need, is needed for this nation, for our black brothers and sisters, that we hear you. And we have many people that listen to this podcast, people of color, white people. Um, we have different ethnicities. We have different cultures from across the globe. And we just wanted to take this moment to say that we are for our black brothers and sisters. And we are not going to be living dull and we're not going to hide in the background, but courageously we're going to stand alongside of you and we're going to have these conversations. We didn't want to hijack the narrative. So today we interviewed uh, with John Parker, who's a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. He is a black man who shares his perspective from his professional perspective and his per personal perspective. You don't want to miss this. Um, this is an incredible conversation that I believe is very helpful. Um, and we are going to have more conversations with John about how this story and, and the things that are unfolding right now is, is nothing new, um, but it, it is, is something that we, we want to stand in because we want to live unbought, unboxed and we want to live engaged with the things that are unfolding here. And we want to, to live lives that champion our people of color, our black brothers and sisters to live lives that, um, are in love. So that's kind of the intent and the heart today. So you might hear a little bit different tone and a little different. Um, and we usually have a really upbeat um, podcast, but uh, given the sobering times, um, that's kind of the different tone that you may hear today. Also, we have many different listeners from uh, different faith backgrounds and also uh, people of no faith. Uh, today on the podcast, we do specifically talk about uh, the Christian faith and from the 
the Christian uh, Christian uh, perspective and worldview and look at some of the differences that um, has existed within the white church and then the black church and that divide there. Um, so we do talk about that today. Um, just wanted you to know if you're not a person of faith. If you are our black listener, we hope that this is honoring for you. If you are our listener of color, we hope this is honoring to you. And if you are a white listener, like me, I hope that this is helpful. I hope that this helps you and me stand beside and to show justice, to seek mercy, to walk humbly with our black brothers and sisters. Grab that coffee and sit with us. John Parker, LPC. John is a licensed professional counselor with over 12 years of experience in counseling and life coaching. He obtained his undergraduate degree with the University of California in Berkeley and his master's degree in marriage and family therapy at Richmond Graduate University. John enjoys working with couples, families, as well as individuals. With couples, he has experience working with those in premarital phases, new families, and seasoned couples. On the individual side, John has worked with people from various backgrounds, professional athletes, entertainers, and business professionals, but he also enjoys working with young adults and those in life transitions. John is also a life coach and has been both a mentor to entrepreneurs and a business consultant for several years. John believes that people should seek counsel when life is going as expected in times of emotional and psychological distress. He believes that counseling allows for people to work through their blind spots. It helps them to improve or maintain good mental and spiritual health and helps them heal. Awesome. Well, we have John joining us today. This is John Parker. He's a licensed professional counselor um, with Georgia, and uh, we're so happy to have you, John. Uh, thanks for being with us. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, I I contacted John because there's a lot going on, John, like just in Atlanta and um, kind of in our world right now. And um, we would just love to hear from your perspective as, um, as a black man and also as, as a, a licensed professional counselor and a therapist, kind of, kind of your perspective and, um, how you're feeling and, and, and everything that's kind of going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. I miss a lot. Like you said, um, it's mixed emotions, uh, in one sense, um, for, you know, black community, uh, it's, it's difficult to, in 2020 to be like black community because there's so many diverse interests uh, as opposed to maybe times past. Like if you look at civil rights movements where people were uh, looking to just have equal living spaces and schools and education and different things. And that was like a singular focus. And now you have LGBTQ over here. You have like black, black intellectuals over here. You have rural black people over here. You have, uh, city, you know, there's just so many different, uh, I guess, groups um, that are di- that want different things. Um, but I think right now the current climate is police reform and justice uh, as it uh, deals with um, unarmed black men or just black people now because black women uh, are also falling victim to, I guess, unjust practices 
of police as well as community members uh, with the case of Ahmaud Arbery just out for a jog or whatever. Um, so I think that I'm hoping that the consensus is justice reform in the sense of like hate crime bills, uh, illegalizing lynch mobs, uh, police brutality or police misuse of force uh, becoming a legislature issue, becoming a legal issue. Um, and then I think that will allow people such as myself and other people just to feel more comfortable with just being in, in the space of America, with just living, with just jogging, with just interacting with police officers. Um, and yeah, I'm just hoping that, you know, that that is something that comes from this. And that's generally what happens in our community, especially like in the 60s after Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, there was rioting in hundreds, like a hundred plus cities, not just like a few, you know, like it is now. And after that, we got the Voting Rights Act, you know, and so that was the thing that became of that time. And so amidst the chaos, amidst the tragedy, amidst all the things that are happening, um, I'm hopeful and a lot of people are hopeful that at least if nothing else, police reform and um, just the criminalizing of like lynch mobs and hate crimes uh, will become, you know, a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I guess on a personal level too, I'm kind of um, torn in a sense of wrestling with the reality of, of trauma, right? So on a professional level, I've, I've asked people that talk to me about this, these issues and things that are happening in the current climate to kind of just, hey, you have to turn off the TV, you have to step away from the social media, uh, you have to just be clear of what you're trying to do at this time and avoid certain things because you just you re-traumatize yourself. And people don't understand that re-watching someone get murdered, rewatching someone get choked to death, rewatching someone cry out for help for, you know, all these different things. It doesn't help you. Um, it may inform you. It may show you what's going on. But in a broad sense, you can read that or you could, you know, see a summary or something like that. You don't have to re-traumatize yourself. And I think uh, being a black male in this country, um, being 40 years old, being raised in Los Angeles, having lived in Northern California, Oakland and Berkeley, um, I am too familiar with these things, with these incidents, with police brutality, with, you know, just rate racism and all these different things. And then moving to the South and feeling as if I stepped into a time machine, like outside of the perimeter of Atlanta, outside of the 285, for me as a black man, it's still sundown towns. Like I don't, mm. I don't hang out in cities outside of the perimeter of Atlanta in the evening. Uh, I don't, I just don't, you know? And so uh, coming back to this area, I have to live in the West coast all my life. I just feel like when I first moved here in 2009, I was like, oh, it's 1968 again. Like, what is happening? You know, what is, it's such diverse downtown and all these different areas. But I mean, you don't have to travel outside, too far outside the perimeter to feel as if you've taken a step back in time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just tell people in order to minimize the trauma, in order to minimize re-experiencing certain feelings and depression and I don't know, just just anxiety, um, you just have to take a step back. Uh, And I think that, Unfortunately, people are just so media in tune, so TikTok, so, you know, Twitter, so Instagram involved, so media outlet involved. It's hard to step away. But it's just at this point in time for me and for people I come across, I'm like, hey, we just take a deep breath and do something different for a while. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very powerful statement that you said that, like, when you felt like coming from the West Coast to to here in Atlanta, that you felt like you were going back in time. Mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, my dad has lived in Georgia, primarily, you know, Atlanta area since 1995. So this wasn't like a new place that I had never been before. I've been coming back and forth, like on summer vacations and just spending time since 95. And when I moved here in 2009, I had a 
different expectation um, just because of what I experienced growing up coming here, but living here, being an adult. Uh, I mean, the first time I, uh, my dad lived in Conyers, or he lives in Conyers, and my first interaction with the police in Conyers is I was dropping my car off uh, at a dealer, uh, dealer, not a dealership, but a mechanic to get some repairs done. And I'm, you know, I'm an active guy, I jog, I run. So I was gonna run back to my dad's house. Uh, and as I was walking from the mechanic, I passed the parking lot of the gym, the LA or LA fitness that I had membership to, and I had my headphones in and then all of a sudden a cop car swoops around me and I'm like, Oh, what's going on? And he was like, you didn't hear my commands. You didn't hear me talking to you. I was like, well, I didn't hear anything cause I have headphones in number one. And then number two, I'm like, yo, what's the problem officer? He's like, yo, well, there's been a lot of break-ins at this gym, at the gym in the parking lot. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I don't know what that has to do with me. I'm in gym shorts. I have on a t-shirt. I have on headphones and running shoes. Like I have no backpack. I have nothing in my hand. I'm way past the, the gym itself. Uh, so then that was a you know a reason for him to stop me, to check my ID, to search for warrants, to ask that I have any weapons or, you know, you know, that type of stuff, you know, the rundown. And I'm like, bro, I'm literally, I've only been in this state for like two months. Uh, I'm literally just walking, running, going back home. And this is 2009, you know? And so that kind of set the trend for me in being in Georgia and again, being outside of the perimeter, although Kanye's isn't that far, but it's, it's far enough to, for that to be a real experience for me. Mm-hmm. Which that just seems like an awful experience. Like, <laughs> yeah, like terrible and yeah. very unjust. Like, like you were doing nothing but running. Like yeah. I hadn't even started running yet. So it wasn't like I was in the parking lot looking through cars, then ran off. I was like yeah. doing a pre-walk, you know, listening to my headphones and then I was going to take off. But Hey, he had to make sure I wasn't a car thief. Uh, That's awful. Yeah. yeah. And you said it kind of set the trend. So I'm assuming that there was there more incidents other than this that you'd experienced or from then it went to personal interactions um, with people uh, and even institutions. So um, I moved from Conyers to Atlanta to East Point and I haven't had very many issues at all. Like that's one thing that disappoints me about the unrest per se in Atlanta, like I'm not against unrest, but like Atlanta historically has been like a quote unquote, not historically, in recent times, Atlanta, East Point, College Park, a lot of areas, the police departments have been problematic. But I think as of recent, with I would say within the last five to 10 years, there's been a lot of reform and police are held accountable for their actions here, like they aren't in other places. So I think there's a different relationship with uh, black people. I don't know about other people of color in Atlanta, but I know black people, there's a different relationship. although. There may things that be ha- that may be things that happen, but I feel like being in Atlanta proper again, being in a, it doesn't matter Decatur, being, you know, just in inside the perimeter, I felt okay. Um, and even East Point, although it's outside the perimeter, still it's it's been fine. Um, but I think the issue has been institutions. So coming from California, growing up on the West Coast, pickup trucks and Confederate flags are just they're synony- synonymous with the South, right? Uh, and so I've had more into it more altercations or incidents with people that were blatantly displaying their either Confederate heritage or that's as what they would say, their Confederate heritage, or I don't know, just, just, just having those symbols for me that are symbols of hate, but for them that are symbols of legacy and heritage and all those type of things, having minor incidents where, you know, you get strange looks or they may say something and you have to wonder like, what did that really mean? You know, or whatever you get into little tips, but even unfortunately, um, in my educational pursuits and will leave institutions out, but I've had issues with, um, we'll say professors, uh, that I think were racially motivated in the sense of, I don't think I knew my place 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they won't say that. But when I ask questions or when I challenge or when I ask someone to dig a little deeper, i.e. will take, for instance, uh, there was a Christian traditions class I had in, in grad school. And I love my school. My school was great. My education was wonderful. I prepared me for my national exam. I passed the first time. So I have no complaints about that. But we get to a chapter in Christian traditions where we talk about Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. And so I, after the class, I asked the professor, I said, hey, I don't know if you know much about Jonathan Edwards, but in, the, in this class and in a lot of Christian circles in the South, especially churches, whoever like to quote Jonathan Edwards and all of these things that he said, and they were brilliant and wonderful, but he owned slaves and he used the Bible to justify slavery. Uh, and for me to be in this class and I'm at a Christian institution and reading Christian materials and we have this book that's full of like historical Christian people. And for one, for us to, as a black person, to have to read these things and to be faced yet again with the trauma and have to think through, you know, a person that loved God, quote unquote, loved Jesus, quote unquote, was led by the Holy Spirit, but owned people and then justified the Bible to own people is traumatizing for me. And if we don't have a conversation about that in the discourse of this class, uh, while we're talking about this person and the works that they, you know, committed to the Christian institution, I find it problematic. And his response was, well, you should you should bring that up next week. And I'm like. I'm not the professor. I'm not teaching anything. I don't have any, um, I mean, I don't have a voice. You know what I'm saying? I will just be another angry black man, just voicing an opinion, just whatever. But I'm presenting this to you as to, to say like, hey, this is a real problematic thing. And he just pushed it back on me and that was the end of the conversation. Um, and then there was other incidents, in, incidents where I would ask questions about things that didn't make sense. And it was older, you know, unfortunately older white people. And it just seemed like it rubbed them the wrong way immediately as soon as I started asking questions. And it was asking them to do more or, or speak more on something or to think more about something. And it was just like, oh, this is weird. Like, I've never, this is, this is a new thing to me. You know what I mean? Um, and so those are subtle things. We might call them microaggressions or whatever the case may be. Um, but it was just weird to be in a space where I'm in higher education, where I'm actively trying to pursue a degree, where I mean no malice. I mean no harm. I'm by no means like a rebel rouser. I wasn't trying to create riots and anarchy in the classroom. Uh, but I just found that from, from the streets to the classroom to institutions, I just felt like the South, again, this being Atlanta, was still in a space where people will claim to have a certain faith or believe, have certain beliefs. Um, I mean, the Klan themselves, they'll have the Christian flag, they'll have the Confederate flag, the American flag, read the Bible, say they love Jesus, but, but teach a message of like community renewal and development for people that look like them, but then teach a message of hate uh, for people that don't look like them, you know what I mean? And I didn't think this was still a thing in 2009, let alone, to, you know, 2020, uh, mm-hmm. all these years later. Um, and so it just, you know, it just hurts a little bit. You know, you find yourself like, oh, shoot, thrown off. You don't know how to deal and don't know how to move. Uh, and I'm like, why am I, you know, a grown man in the principal's office in my grad school having to <laughs> have these conversations? Uh, you know, so, you know, that's, I don't want to be labeled that. But, it, you know, it was issues that I didn't expect. Yeah, which was again totally unfair. Like, <laughs> like it's it sounded like in that moment that like you had this conversation is like, oh, bring that up. Like, yeah. did you hear me? Like, was there any <laughs> any moment there? Yeah. Like, that yeah. was totally unjust there. Like, yeah. but it, but it's part for the course. I think that's again it gives a hint into what's going on now, right? So you have a situation where people are asking or tired of asking to just live, to just breathe to just jog, to just be at home and sleep in, my, in their bed. Like the young lady that killed, got killed in uh, Louis, uh, Louisville, mm-hmm. the police had the wrong address doing a no-knock search warrant. The husband or whatever, boyfriend, whatever, goes for a gun because he thinks he's getting robbed, and the police shoot him, and then they shoot her while she's in the bed sleep. 
And it's just like, we're just, I just want to sleep. I just want to live. I just want to, you know, do my thing. And we're at a point in, 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 in American history where I think black people especially are like, hey, I'm tired of asking the majority culture to just allow me to be a human being, to just allow me to live. And I'm going to make noise and I'm going to tear up some stuff and I'm going to burn down some stuff to get the, to, to get the attention of those that need to, to hear what I'm saying. Uh, because at the end of the day, like, yeah, if I'm asking someone, hey, this makes me uncomfortable, this isn't cool, I'm giving you factual evidence of why it's not cool for someone like me. And you're like, well, it's your job to teach everyone else. It's your job to educate your classmates. It's your job to, I'm like, is it my job? Is it? Like, I brought this to you as the person that's leading this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a, a microcosm uh, or a, a small scale view of the bigger picture that is America. Like, I am the one that can't breathe and you're the one to tell me, to, yeah, and you're telling me to, to fight this fight, to say like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, do something different. And I'm like, you, I don't have the power. I don't have the control. I don't have, I don't even have the numbers. Like black people in America are 13% of the population. So if every black person voted for a bill or voted for a president or voted for a senator or voted for a Congress person outside of like being, you know, like regional things, like we still don't even have the voting power to change things. So we do need allies. We do need help. We do need people that are sympathetic to the cause to understand like, hey, we're not making stuff up and we really need help, you know, and we really need your help uh, in order to right these wrongs, uh, especially as it relates to even like people that say they follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Like, yo, we need, we're, we're brothers. We're allies. We, we, you know, we're, you know, we're, we need help, you know, but, you know, that's another story, I suppose. I, well, I think it's this, all the same story, John. I don't know if it's another story. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of, you, you hit that earlier of like, especially here in the South of the, this, the Christian teaching that doesn't seem to be integrity with hating, you know, um, black people or people of other color, like that, that kind of that racial, um, tension there that doesn't seem to be congruent with the gospel and the teachings of Christ. Like that, that just, that just seems unsettling. And it just, for me, like that just seems like, how did, how did white privilege clearly I'm, you know, I'm in, in that category that we allowed that to continue. Like, and that is absolutely not okay. Like, well, I mean, I, I give people a break, right. In a sense of you have to understand history, right. So historically, once the gospel in Europe became synonymous with whiteness, um, then it just changed the whole shape and scope of, of Christianity forever, right? So for instance, if you have people that are missionaries, right? And when they get to a foreign land, what they consider Christian is speaking English or Dutch or whatever, you know, the language that they speak. What is considered Christian is wearing a suit and tie, not your traditional garb, your robes or whatever the case may be. You may be even covering up for some places because nudity wasn't a thing in some places, right? Um, using a knife and fork. Um, speaking Kings, Queens, English, whatever the case may be. So all the things that were synonymous with whiteness became synonymous with Christianity. So then you have these people going to these places and saying, in order to be a Christian, you must be white on a subconscious level, because to them, they're not even thinking through that. Right. And so when you go to a place like Ethiopia, even now and see images of Christ and disciples and other people that were brown or black or considered, you know, black or whatever the case may be, um, it's like, oh, shoot, like, dang. White Jesus. Oh, he's got blonde hair and blue eyes and he looks like a hippie. And you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's not Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to the point where I can go to somebody's grandma house to this day in a black community and the picture that they'll have on the wall is blue eyed, blue eyed, blonde hair, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. on a subconscious level, 
if you're living in a country who believes that they were founded on Christian principles, when they, their declaration of independence, or excuse me, the, the, the Constitution said all men are created equal, but it didn't mean all men at the time because all men clearly weren't free. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have this Bible and his teaching and these these ideas of even the Imago Day, like being made in the image of God becomes synonymous with someone who's white. When you have black or brown people saying, hey, we're oppressed. Hey, there's a problem. Hey, there's whatever. And they're like, oh, well, racism is an issue. It's sin and sin is, is, is people's hearts. And we're creating, we need to create disciples. I'm like, yo, you've been creating disciples for thousands of years. And the disciples you've created have a problematic theology. They have problematic belief systems. They don't, under, they on a subconscious level, anytime someone cries out and says, hey, 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 this is wrong. This isn't wrong. Your justification is like, well, it doesn't happen to me in my community. So it couldn't possibly be real. You're just making stuff up or you're just exaggerating or you just want attention or you're just crying. Slavery was 400 years ago. Get over it. Actually, the 60s is when the Civil Rights Act kind of popped off. And we were only, you know what I'm saying, like so many years removed from that. So, and you know, uh, so, yeah. So the idea is that I think when you're in a monolith, when you're monocultural and you see Christian Christianity as a thing that looks like me, that is for me, you don't even think about how we could be misapplying scripture or how we could be uh blindly telling people hey well you know there was slavery in the bible like the bible was literally used as the tool to justify inhumane treatment of people you know what i mean and to the point where they created a slave bible that was missing like exodus and parts where the, the children of israel rose up and and fought against their oppressors so that they could continue to teach a uh, a christian faith that was uh lacking justice that was lacking uh, 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 concern for the widows and the poor and the fatherless. Like, yo, no, we can just give you a, a Bible that teaches you to be subservient to mm-hmm. your masters. And that doesn't require us to circumspect them to, to have an introspection that allows us to see the evil of what we're doing. Like the evil nature of being able to lynch someone, being able to cut a baby out of a woman's stomach and step on the, the fetus's head to be able to, uh, let dogs bite and chew on people as they were trying to just escape for their freedom. You know what I mean? And then you move into the civil rights where it's the same thing. People getting sprayed with fire hoses, dogs being turned on them. You know what I mean? And then to now where when a black person gets killed by the police, evangelicals want to have the full conversation where I got to see more pictures. I got to see more videos. I got to understand. And then to go into his rap sheet, like, well, this guy got arrested in the third grade for shoplifting. I'm like, bro, well, as a 25 year old man, he had no problems with anything. And he was minding his business and showing the police's ID and he gets shot in his car you know, Philando Castile, you know what I mean? So it's just a lot of things where whiteness, white nationalism, Christianity have come together uh, and have unfortunately formulated a faith and theology and doctrine that allows for the um, inhumane treatment of others, um, even their Christian brothers and sisters, and then it can be justified and written off as, well, they must have done something or it couldn't be the legal system, couldn't be those fine police officers. It couldn't, you know what I mean? And so. all these things can intertwine. I hope that wasn't jumbled, but they're intertwined like that. So the conversation sure. comes from different places. Sure. But the bottom line in, in answering your question, speaking to your, your, your thought is that, yeah, in, in, in this country and in Western Christianity, Christianity has been synonymous with whiteness and anything that's not on that spectrum gets seen as problematic or troublesome or gets ignored. Mm-hmm. Which, that makes, hopefully that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. That It just makes me very angry, to be honest, because I think that, like, it, 
and I, and I definitely see, like, I think you articulated that beautifully and, and how that, that has become Christianity has become whiteness. Mm-hmm. And, and I almost say that that is idolatry. Like if, if it's become whiteness, then it's become idolatry and we have missed Jesus, mm-hmm. um, which makes me very angry. Yeah. Um, and we've missed justice. Mm-hmm. That's crazy because I've lived, I've lived in, I've lived in three countries, like not just like visited. I've lived in three countries. I have experienced some form of Christian expression in 15 countries, right? Uh, been the six continents. And the underlying thing that happens oftentimes with the church is that you'll have some people that are oppressed somehow, some way, that are believers in the teachings of Jesus Christ. They'll cry out to those that seemingly have the money, the resources, the power, the understanding of scripture, whatever the case may be. And those people will justify why they don't need to help or why they can't help. Cause it'll be, Oh, it's, it's your community, black on black crime. You know, the, the, the issue isn't police. It's black on black crime. I'm like, well, white people kill white people, black people, kill black people, Latinas, Latinos kill Latino. Like it's not a, that has not a, that's a sidestep. Like you make this, this argument that has nothing to do with us crying out saying, help, 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 help. You'll be in a country where people are poor and you'll see people that will be like, Hey, well, you're poor because you don't try hard enough. Western principle, because you don't, uh, you don't have enough faith, bad doctrine, uh, because you, uh, you know, you, 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 they'll blame the, the victim. They'll blame the person. They'll blame the poor or fatherless or widowed sister and brother in Christ. And they'll use a Western idea of what it means to pull yourself up by the bootstraps or to overcome circumstances, situations and justify them not being concerned about their unjust government or unjust laws or, you know, things that are happening that are beyond their control. They were born into a situation but you have the power, the resources, the know-how, the skills, and the ability to help your brother and sister in the faith. But instead, you will make it their problem and something for them to fix. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying so. It's like it's people crying out, "Justice, justice, justice! Help, help, help! Please, please, please!" And it's like, "Well, you got that social justice gospel, or you have that that black liberation theology, blah 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 blah." And so, therefore, we can reason and rationalize why we don't help or people don't help or why they don't reach out. And it's, and I see it over and over and over and over again. And even when at my last, the living situation, I lived in uh, Africa, South Africa for, for 16 months, like being at predominantly white institutions in Africa and seeing the same thing where it's like, yo, I'm in a township called Guguletu, one of the poorest townships in the area. And you put up this big poster that says, these people in this community give the most out of anybody in these, these, these churches here, I was with an institution, I won't say the name, but they had like eight or nine churches in South Africa. And these people from the poorest community are the ones that are giving the most. They're the ones that are asking for the most help. And they're the ones that get their programming shut down the quickest because they're, you know, you, you deem them as an ATM and they're always asking for something. They're always needing help. And 900 children come to the programming. And I'm like, well, you have someone that comes, takes pictures of these poor black children. You get money donated to you. And these same people in the same community all of a sudden become problematic when they actually need resources to help, right? And then the same thing is like, well, we're not an ATM. Well, you should, you know, figure out how to help yourselves. You should blah, blah, blah. And like, it's the same like thought here in the West. Like, yo, like, no, like they need help. And they're a part of this institution because they believe you can be a part of the help. But then when they need the help, you reason and rationalize why they need to do it on their own. Although you're getting funding and getting money because people are coming seeing these, these stories and hearing the hearts of these people and seeing what they have going on. But like, eh, you know, that doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. hopefully that wasn't a tangent. No, no, it made sense. It sounds like kind of highlighting the issue that people rationalize and they deny that, hey, 
you're, you're missing that there is an issue. You're saying that's not my problem, which would, would fall within our white, the white privilege kind of definition. Like I don't have to look because it doesn't affect me or what you're saying is not actually like that. That's not real. Like you're making all that up and that it sounds like that you've seen that just like you've seen that in multiple countries, not just in America. Yeah. 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 And it, it all starts with someone feeling as if somebody else doesn't have a gospel presentation or a representation of Jesus or whatever the case may be. And they bring their culture with them as opposed to bringing Christ with them. And their culture becomes the thing that permeates their existence and what happens, you know what I'm saying? And so that culture, even those ideas of like, of, of you can make it, all you have to do is try harder. You can make it. All you have to do is this. You can make it like, no, like you can make it because your father owns this, that, and other thing. And you can just get a job. You can make it because of your whiteness is presumed that you know what you're talking about, or you have a skill or you have a, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been to countries in Africa that are predominantly black, but 98% of the wealth is held by 2% of the population. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing for the gospel presentation. of the gospel presentation is brought by a certain people group to these savages, to these unlearned people, to these un... But the Christian faith started in Africa, in the Middle East, you know what I'm saying? And it went north to Europe. And then somehow things got jumbled up up there and then it got brought back down to Africa and then west, you know what I'm saying, to the Western world with a different outlook, with a different perspective. That was Eurocentric, um, white-centric, unfortunately, or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, And that just kind of changed the landscape of things. Mm. And it, it would seem if, if, because it seems like we've outlined a really systemic issue, like individual institutional wise. And then there's also in, in a communal kind of sense, because you kind of mentioned kind of those, those microaggressions that we see. And then also kind of from a theological standpoint that there's, there's great issue because if, if uh, Jesus is now equated to whiteness, then we have missed the whole theology and the purpose of the Bible. Um, what is it like? How do you think we can go forward from here? Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to be in that position of that professor that says, "Now you just bring that up." That is not my heart here. Yeah. Uh, like, how how do you think we can go forward together to kind of clearly? It's a huge kind of multifaceted um, kind of issue and that's been going on for hundreds of years. Um, but how can we kind of make a difference now, you think? Yeah, I think understanding one level that whenever some, when someone is, for the majority, right, I can't speak for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, when someone says like Black Power or Black Lives Matter or something along those lines, uh, or even Black theology, not Black, Black liberation theology or, or whatever case may be, being pro-Black in 2020 is not being anti-white. And so I think people have to understand that, hey, as a black man in America, I have to teach my children to love yourself, to love your skin, to love your hair, to love your heritage, to love your your people um, so that they don't become have some cognitive dissonance when they get older. or They don't have some racial self-loathing or they don't have issues with themselves. Like Even now, like I'm wearing my hair natural, let my facial hair grow up. Like I'm a black man. This is what black people look like when their hair gets long. Like I don't have to shave my face and look a certain way to look clean to make to peace people. Right. I'm, and I'm 40 and I'm just now coming to the place where I feel comfortable with doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first step is understanding that when when black people want to be held with respect, want to be honored, to want to be recognized as being made in the image of, of God in the Imago Day, it doesn't mean I'm anti-white or I hate you. or I don't like you. It's just, I have to affirm myself to remind myself that I'm important. I was made in the image of God and that I matter. And so that can't be something that throws people off. 
Again, there's always bad actors. There's always bad apples. But you can't, when I say Black Lives Matter, you can't respond with All Lives Matter to negate to, or to try to make a point that everybody counts. No, because if they did, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If I mattered, if people like me mattered, the America wouldn't be burning right now. You know what I'm saying? So that's a, that's a first step in, in just changing perspective. Like, okay, someone can want dignity. Someone can't want justice. Someone can want to be treated fairly and not be anti-me uh, as a way of breaking down that wall of, of like being offended off front. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there are bad characters. There are bad actors. There are some people that be like, hey, my liberation is going to come at the death of white people. Like that does happen. But that's not what I'm talking about. And I, that's not even an ideology that I support. Right. Um, or do a majority of people. And so then the other end is like. Majority of people, white people, and I take to make this black, white, but it is in this conversation, have to also stop asking black people to lead the charge in their freedom. Like, hey, it's cool to ask for a book reference. It's cool to ask for like, um, uh, you know, just a way to go. But don't expect me to have to hold your hand and walk you through this. Like, do some research on your own. Hit the Googles. Go to the library. Like, like, look up. Jim Crow and, you know, racial inequalities, uh, uh, the Voting Rights Voting Rights Act, like, just, like, look up, you know, like, these people, like, that are dying, look up the name George Floyd, look up, you know, why these things are so important to people, and, and, and don't be lazy, you know, on that, on that aspect, because, again, it's re-traumatizing, like, I could have this conversation with you, because I know you and I trust you, but there's a lot of people that want me to have this conversation, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it, because I'm tired, I've been having this conversation since I was 10 years old. You know what I mean? And I it just I can't keep re-experiencing this and going through the imagery and seeing people being hung and lynched and all this other stuff. So, like, do the research, um, if, that, if that makes sense, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And on, a, on a Christian level, on a, a faith level, um, understand and believe when your brothers and sisters say this, this, and that is a problem. Systemic racism is a problem. Institutional racism is a problem. Police injustice is a problem. Like I understand in certain communities, police are heroes and police were heroes in my community till I was like eight or nine. And I got a little taller and I became, I went from being cute to being a threat. Like, Hey, I'm a, Oh, this black man. I'm a, I became a black man. And when I became a black man, I became a threat and police and all that wasn't cute and funny. They weren't handing me baseball cards and you know, whatever uh, anymore. And so understand that and believe and listen when people of color or black people, your friends, whatever your church, People say, hey, man, this is really a struggle. This is really a problem. And don't try to minimize it to something of, of its, well, that's that's just a you thing or that was an isolated incident or that was blah, 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 blah. Because I'm, if you spend time with these people that you're accusing of making up stories or embellishing stories, I'm pretty sure they can tell you story after story after story, incident after incident after incident of these injustices that have happened from systemic to everyday stuff. Um, and I think another way forward is also living, actually living in community with people and understanding their stories. Churches love to have small groups and do this and that. But like a lot of times you don't hear stories. You don't live in community. You don't really share your life um, because, you you know, you, you, you just come in. It's a part of the program. Mm. So when you have those moments you're in your small group or you have someone in your church that you that, you know, that grew up differently than you or even lives differently than you um, ask deep, intentional questions and actually listen. Mm-hmm. Don't don't assume that, you know, don't. Uh, assert that 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 well I heard about this and I heard about that no just listen and hear a story and understand what's going on in somebody's life and allow those stories and that listening and that that intensiveness to kind of penetrate your soul and penetrate your heart mm-hmm. um, and then also understand that hey like as much as it hurts and as much as it may be offensive to a person a white person that is a Christian in the United States understanding that bringing up you know the Calvins and the 
the the Jonathan Edwards and all of these great white orators of the past, like like maybe stop, like let's let let like stop asserting that because they had great ideas that they couldn't possibly also be terrible people. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like it is possible to know the Bible. It is possible to understand certain doctrine and theology, but it is also possible to, to not recognize people as human beings and recognize them as valuable and recognizing them as being made in the image of God. And so I think we have to understand that on a level that's related to what we're talking about, you can't just bring in people and times and, and works of art, you know what I'm saying? And ideologies into modern day without some resistance and then being offended. Cause I'm offended. Like, Oh, how could you say that about the great John Edwards? No, I can say that because he was a general person. And you know what I'm saying? Like, however you want to wrap your mind around his theology and the doctrine, the things that he brought to the Christian faith of the West. Like when people say that, no, that's problematic and it's traumatic and that's harmful for me. And just hearing that man's name is problematic. Uh, believe that. And then work, work towards a resolution as opposed to just saying, well, you have to get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, that can't be the model. That can't be the mantra. Like we have to really push for um, inclusion uh, and minimizing uh, offense, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can probably go on, but I think that might be enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could, we, I think we could be here all day, John. And I think that this would just be good. Um, it sounds like kind of it's this step to healing. Um, like if we just kind of, you've given us a bunch of things, which is beautiful. Like um, I'm going to sit back and take notes because I think this has been so helpful. Um, if we're, is to, to listen from, from a white perspective of we need to sit back, we need to listen and we need to believe, um, our fellow black brothers and sisters and, 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 and say, how can we educate ourselves, um, and not expect, um, not expect you because we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that, uh, professor kind of thing again of you teach us now, you know, like, but go and do the research ourselves. Cause I heard that, it, that it's, it's traumatizing to, to, to having to relive hundreds of years of racism that affect you individually and, and, and then black people in general of going to educate ourselves and then standing alongside to say, how can we bring change systemically, individually, and then in our communities? Because you mentioned that how communities were really important of being in that place. Because you'd mentioned the Imago Day, like in the image of God, if we're in community, then it's harder for for someone to look at someone and hate because hey this is a person that is made in the image of god and they're a person exactly. and they they could be a person of color and it could be different than my color but we are still made in the image of god so it's harder for me to hate if i'm in community yeah yeah we we've taken this communal faith and made it a tribal faith and if you don't look like me if you don't sound like me if you don't hold the same traditions as i do then you're not a part of this body. And that's like, and until you adapt that model, until you start to look like me, until you start wearing a suit and tie, until you start having a clean face, until you start using proper English, you know, all these different things that have typically been used to, to separate people, and especially along the class lines, until you stop seeing that. And then you stop saying, don't see color. Like, no, God made color. God made people. Stop saying, be colorblind, because that's not what God intended. And that's not what it is. It's just a way to kind of, again, bring me to your side, right? As opposed to actually, no, I want you to recognize my blackness. I want you to see my hair. I want you to see my, you know, my expressions. I want you to hear my, my pain um, and not take it personal. And I think, and I, and I, I don't know if you was wrapping up, but just last thing I'll say is like, like 
the problem that I've realized is, is a term that we use, and you may be familiar with it, called white fragility. And when black people talk about justice and they talk about racism and they talk about fairness and equality, sometimes white people feel like, well, it wasn't me and it wasn't my family and it may have been my grandfather, but I don't feel that way. And it's like they already have an offense and it's, they're already putting building a wall as opposed to just being able to listen because it hurts them. Because mm-hmm. it's like they don't want to be reminded of the past and they don't want to be reminded of the pain. So mm-hmm. on a cognitive level, you just go to this place of, well, it wasn't me and stop blaming me. And I had nothing to do with it. But that's what keeps the conversation from moving forward because that, that original offense that happens because you hear somebody bring up again, oh, here we go again, police brutality. Here we go again, injustice. Here we go again, racism. And that can't, that, that doesn't help, you know. Um, yeah. So I don't know how to encourage white people to press past that initial shock, but that has to, that has to be a thing. Like you have to understand that we're not mentioning these things for you to feel bad. If you feel bad, okay, that happens. But that the goal isn't to just be some, you know, you know, go home and cry because you're white. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the goal. It's just to, to point out some things. Yeah. And, and I, I think I can speak to that as a white person to my fellow white people that you just lean into that discomfort, like that, that is okay for you to be uncomfortable and it is okay for you to feel pain because then we are standing side by side. We are not the same pain and we won't definitely understand what our fellow brothers and sisters of color or, or black people. Cause, cause we're white. Cause we, we don't experience that. Um, but I think that as a white person, I say lean into that pain like that, that d- don't ignore that because if that's stopping our conversations and that's stopping us um, from standing with each other and um, then I think that that's a huge problem. So I would say that we need to lean into that discomfort. I don't disagree. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's just like the nan, 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 nan. You like, you plug your ears and like, you just like don't want to hear it, but mm-hmm. it's just the reality of things. And, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's for change, man. Like we're all, we're all on the same team. Supposedly we all have the same goal of, you know, bringing heaven to earth and allowing people to experience the goodness of God, you know, on this side of eternity. And mm-hmm. we, we just, you know, we, we want, we want the same things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah, the goal. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to I've had so much drama and trauma in my life trying to acclimate, right? And to assimilate into a culture that's foreign to me just so that I can live, that I can breathe, that I can be accepted. And I think moving forward in this country, people aren't going for that anymore, especially in the church. Like you have a lot of like dissenting people of color from whether it's, you know, a Calvinist thing or an evangelical thing or the Southern Baptist Convention. Like there's just a lot of like, yo, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. And I've done my best to be to live in this whiteness into this white theology, into this white Jesus, into this white for so long that I've died on the inside. And I and people just want to flourish. And they, you know, and that's why church membership is dropping off. That's why people are, you know, going here, going there and doing these different things. Um, and it's 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 because they're tired. They can't take like the expression of who they are being minimized to be in this institution where the songs are different. Not that these should be things that matter, but the songs are different. Like I've been in a church where when Mike Brown got killed the pastor wanted to pray for the family of Mike Brown and you would have thought this man said F the police and I hate white people. All he literally said was let's pray for the family of this young man who was killed and Twitter went crazy. Facebook went crazy. There was fights and dissensions in the church. And I'm like, bro, proximity doesn't necessarily mean that we know each other, that we love each other. Like, because I sit next to you on a pew does not mean that we understand each other's plight. And that, that showed me there. I'm like, yo, and this was like 
20, I don't remember what year Mike Brown got killed, but 2012, 13, 10, whatever it was. But like those type of things are what's wrong and what's problematic. Like you can't even mention something like that without people like, ah, don't remind me. I don't want to hear it. Ah. Even in a church setting when you're just asking to pray with someone who's lost their loved one, you know, so it's, it's touchy, but I think there's time and we can heal these wounds and we can move forward, but it's not on me. It's not on me. It's not on me. Yeah. And I think that, I think that from a, from a, a white perspective that we need to start um, in personally, like mm-hmm. how, how do I need to change? How do I need to listen? How do I need to educate myself? And then how can I stand alongside you, John, and, and my fellow um, black brothers and sisters and people of all color? How can, how can we be a voice of unity and change in that? If it can't happen in the Christian church, I don't know where it can happen, you know. I hope it happens in our lifetime, John. Yes, yes, me too. I'm with that. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time today. And um, I do want to highlight that John is a wonderful uh, therapist in in Atlanta and specializes in treating um, and seeing black men. Um, that's something that you have a passion for and that you, um, specialize in. And so, um, he's a wonderful therapist and, uh, as you can see, he knows his stuff. Um, <laughs> I've read a little here in their experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. but thank you so much for the time and, um, for stepping into the, some of the, you mentioned that it's traumatizing. So thank you for just honoring, us with your time and being able to, to talk about these things because I know they're hard. So thank you so much. No problem. And I, and please, this is not an anti-white message. This is not an anti, it's just, it's just things are what they are. And in 2020, we kind of got to deal with the reality of, of what things are. And I need help from everybody, especially my white friends. You know what I mean? Like I, I need all the help I can get. So this is not anti you for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that you made that very clear. I didn't, I didn't hear any anti-white in all of this. Okay, uh, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. And um, I hope that we can have more conversations. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm excited. Join us next time as we continue to have conversations with John about PTSD and trauma that is being experienced in the black community. Keep living unboxed.